morning, Village, on this nice, cool Sunday morning. Just kidding. <laughs> I was told to bring water, I drank Gatorade, I have a, a towel, so we're good. Um, think about what you just sang, though. Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? There's other words, but I love the proclamation. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. And in, in weeks like this, we need to know that, right? The, the months like this, years like this, and lives like this. We need to know that God is sovereign, that he is most high, and that he is all knowledgeable. You know, I think of this week and some of the things that happened this week, and our hearts go out to the Mastachwala family. I know some of you are here this morning, and some are watching online, and the Lord um, chose to take Grandma Rose home to be with him this week. And um, family was present and there, a beautiful time. And it's hard because you have, you have mixed emotions. You have sorrow at losing a loved one. But oh, do we know where she is. And you know where she is. And she is without pain now and with our Lord and Savior. We know that because God is most high. We can trust his word. We can trust what he has said. And so that gives hope. Um, you know, this week also has been a challenging week with deciding what to do for the service today. And we kept thinking through Daniel 1 in our text from last week, and are we really going to follow that for this week? And we've, we spent time pursuing and requesting from authorities. And, um, but in the end, the, the government said, need to meet outside today. And, um, and so we found a creative way to do it. Thank you for getting up so much earlier. Okay, nine isn't that early. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say most of you work earlier than that, but if you're working from home, maybe not, you know. PJ's at noon for a Zoom call, I don't know. <laughs> but we found a creative way to still come together. Hybrid service, so I know many of you are online and, and watching and you're part of it. But even as I sat there and listened to our church sing, it moved my heart and it encouraged and it's sustained, and it just, it's part of why we come together. Thank you for lifting your voices and, and that we could hear each other because that is something that is, is helpful. I know we have some kids here. This is a family service today, so we have some kids watching. We have some kids here, right? They're all in the back hanging out, right? Um, they're all over. Um, so kids, I need to ask you something. Where, my, where are the, the elementary school kids here? Raise your hand. Stand. John, you're not it. Um, they're all, all over. Okay, so kids, I need you to think for a minute. If I said, I saw Grace, thank you. Um, if I said, you need to tell me about my dreams last night, okay? You need to tell me about my dreams. If you can't tell me about my dreams, you get punished. <laughs> I'm mean. <laughs> if you can, I'll give you ice cream. I saw a bunch of eyes look up right then. That's awesome. <laughs> All the adults are like, I'll tell you your dreams. Okay, kids, is that a deal? But, but here's the thing. You've got to tell me what my dreams mean, but you also have to tell me what I dreamed. I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed. Is that possible? Kids are like, nope. 
nope. It's not worth getting punished to take that deal because that's, that's a lose-lose deal. What, would you say I'm a little crazy if, if I was asking it and expecting that? Because no one can understand those dreams. No one can know what I dreamt last night except me. The, the trick of it is, is I never remember my dreams. And so the, answer, the only correct answer would have been you, you didn't have dreams last night that you remember. But that's beside the point. Today I've called a dreamed up crisis. Because what's going to happen is what I just did, kids, with you guys is exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar is going to do in his land. And, and except instead of punished, he's going to say, if you can't tell me what I dreamed last night, you will be dismembered and killed. So, so that's a little bit stronger. Um, but if you can, you're going to have riches and honor and all kinds of things. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Now, ultimately... This, this story can be taken a lot of different ways. We have prophecy in this chapter. And if you're looking this morning for me to tell you when Christ is returning, it's not going to happen. Because the point of this chapter isn't the prophecy, it's the dream. And that God most high knows all things and is over all things. And so we should rely on him. And, and if you had to a takeaway from this morning, and, and we'll try to move this quickly with the heat. But what I want us to remember this morning is God is all-wise, he's all-powerful, his kingdom lasts forever, and so we should rely on him and not anything else. And so this chapter is giving us a foundation for why we can rely on God, for why he is the only one we can rely on in a world where we don't understand a lot of things and we can't control a lot of things. We have a God who understands all things and is in control of all things. And that brings us hope and that brings us a motivation to follow him this morning. So Daniel chapter 2 is, is where we'll go. And we'll, we'll move through the narrative, I hope, pretty quickly this morning. As um, we are trying to be done by 10, 10, 10, somewhere right in there. But we'll start at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And so the setup is, this is the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, probably they, in, in Babylon, they didn't count the first year where you came into the throne as one of the years. So we're probably close to three years into his reign because that would be the second full year of his reign. And probably Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, Abednego, they probably just finished their training to become these wise men, to become these sages. So we're right around that time. But we, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar he had these dreams, plural, and probably it's the same dream over and over. Now, if you're getting the same dream every night, does that start to bug you? Yeah, yeah, it could, unless it's like really good. But um, if you're getting the same dream, and parts of this dream would be very troubling, as we'll see, he was troubled, uh, he was shaken, he was anxious, he, so much that he couldn't sleep anymore. And so chapter, or verse 2, then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So he brings in the wisest of the wise and, and the leaders of those and says, you've got you've to help me. This is, I'm going nuts. You've got to help me. So they came in, stood before the king. If you're summoned, you go. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, now just a side note, remember we talked about in our introduction that, that Daniel is part Hebrew, part Aramaic? At that point, they said to the king in Aramaic, it changes to Aramaic. 
And so the, the story, it's just masterful storytelling that Daniel just brings them in. And so he says the rest of the story in Aramaic. O king, live forever. These are the Chaldeans, the, the wise men. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. Now, you can just imagine what's going on. They're like, okay, we can do this because you can take any dream and make up something. You, you could, I could take any of your dreams and we could sit down and I could sound really wise because I've made up what it means. And so they say, tell us the dream. We can do this. And the king said to them, or the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm, or basically, I'm sure about this. The, I, I have decided, if you do not make known to me the dream and its, interpret, and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid to ruins. And so the king says, no, I'm, I'm not falling for the, the, the ruse of I tell you the dream and you make something up. I want to know that you have truth. I want to know that you actually are, are in contact with the gods because they would have been trying to seek the divine. I want you to know that the gods are actually helping you and, and I want to know that you actually know what you're talking about. So tell me the dream and the interpretation. Now that is a crazy ask. Verse 6. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Now, you're standing there as one of the wise men. What are you thinking? I'm toast. My family's toast. I can't do this. And, and so they answer him, and, and they're going to try to negotiate here. Um, verse 7. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we'll show you the interpretation. You got to give us something here, king. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're just trying to gain time. Okay, you are trying. I, I added just. Because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. So this is a test. He's testing the source of wisdom. He's testing the source of understanding because he doesn't believe them. He, and, and if they can't tell him the dream, then he's going to say, you've been lying to me all along about the interpretation. You've been making stuff up to the king. Yeah, they have. They have, because they don't serve the Most High. They don't serve God. And King Neb isn't a dummy here. So, so he's like, okay. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man, now listen to this, this is a theological statement, and they don't even know they're making it. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. I agree with them. I agree. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. This has never been asked before. Kings don't ask this. The thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling place is not with flesh. And to that I say amen. Amen. And, and the story of Daniel, chapters 1 through 6, is a story of these confrontations between the gods of this world, between the wise wisdom of this world, and between the true God. And remember, the articles of the temple were taken and put in front of the gods of Babylon. And so it's, it's this conflict where God is now going to show himself to be most high. And they say it. 
Only God can figure this out. Only a true God can figure this out, which is why God is setting this up. And so we find in verse 12, King Neb is, is fine with that and says, okay, you're right. No, actually, it says, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them because they're part of the wise men now. And so they, they get to have the punishment that is due all of them. Point number one that I, I have in your notes is God's followers faced a deadly crisis. God's followers face a deadly crisis. This is a moment where the next day, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're supposed to be killed and executed. So Daniel hears this, and Daniel is a man of faith and the leader of this tribe. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. And I love that. He keeps his cool. He still replies with prudence, with wisdom, discretion. He's still going through the right channels. He's still doing it in an honorable way. And he communicates to the captain of the king's guard or, or really the, the chief executioner that can be translated or, or literally it's translated the chief butcher. So this is, this is a serious situation. He had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent or harsh? And this urgency and harshness is, is part of that word. Then Arioch made the, the matter known to Daniel, told him about it. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel hears about this, and instead of shrinking from a crisis, instead of running from the situation, he takes initiative and works to a solution because he knows his God is the God of all wisdom. And his God is the God of all understanding, and his God is sovereign over all. And so he confidently says, before he has an interpretation, understand the timing here, he gets word to the king and says, can I have an appointment? We need to talk. Can I have an appointment to tell you the interpretation? Now that's probably intriguing to the king because he still can't sleep and he's still troubled. I am amazed at Daniel's faith at this point because like I said, he had no interpretation yet. But he was stepping out in faith that our God, his God, could bring that knowledge to him. And so that initiative God is going to bless this is the crisis that they face. In your notes, I have a threefold response to the crisis, and that's the next few verses, because that's all set up. And now we see Daniel's response to the crisis. And, and just for your notes, if you want to fill those P's in, his threefold response is prayer, praise, and pointing. And you probably don't understand pointing yet. We'll get there. Prayer, praise, and pointing. And that's the same responses that we should have to crisis in our lives, to difficulties in our lives. Prayer, praise, and pointing. Let's read it and, and understand. Prayer, verses 17 to 19. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And that's the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and so... He makes this matter to The first thing he does is gets a, a spiritual community praying together. There is power, church, when we pray together. 
There is power to, to lifting each other up in prayer. I love seeing the prayer requests in our Facebook group as we pray for each other. We have seen it with Susie's health. There is power in praying together. And so Daniel starts there. He told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Pray, this is urgent. We're all going to be killed tomorrow so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then verse 19a, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Answered prayer. They go, they pray, answered prayer. In this case, God chose to reveal. We're going to see in, in next week's chapter that God's will sometimes is to answer no. But in this case, the answer was yes. And so we see the first step if we're responding to crisis is a step of prayer. Real prayer, getting community in prayer. And, and, and prayer that ultimately God would be glorified, that ultimately God would work and we're going to see that, that Daniel's heart isn't just to, to get out of the executioner's chair. His heart is to point people to Christ or to, to God. Our heart is to point people to Christ. So the second response was praise. And this, uh, many of the, the scholars, and I agree with them, this is the center of the chapter. This is what the chapter is all about. The chapter actually isn't about the prophecy we see in the dream. That's like a little nugget we dig out and have fun with. The center of the chapter here is the theology that's presented in his praise. Listen to this. If you want to close your eyes and listen to it, but picture these words. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. To you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might You and, and, have, made known, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. And so the second response to crisis, the first was prayer. The second is praise. Giving credit to where credit is due. Giving glory where, where it is due. And, and this is a wonderful prayer of praise, a, 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 a song of praise. Praising God for his wisdom that he's all-knowing, his might that he's all-powerful, that he's sovereign over all. He changes times and seasons, referring to the epochs of, of human history are in his hand. We see history and it's this big to us and he sees our moment in history as just a little blip in time in his hand that he is controlling. He is above all kings. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He removes presidents. He sets up presidents. He removes governors and sets up governors. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He knows all things and he is the revealer of things. When we go elsewhere for wisdom, when we go elsewhere for comfort, when we go elsewhere for, for hope, we are going places that cannot reveal all things, that cannot reveal all wisdom. It is silly. It is silly to go to the wrong place. You, you don't go to a hair salon to have your car fixed. Well, maybe. That would be a weird combination. But um, 
You, you go to a mechanic, someone who knows. When we are dealing with issues of life, when we are seeking wisdom, when we are seeking hope, we, we don't go to what the world has to offer. We shouldn't because it's empty. The only place that gives lasting hope, the only place that gives true understanding, that gives wisdom for a situation is God Almighty. And that is what this chapter is trying to pound into us through the example of Daniel. I love even in verse 23 how his prayer of praise turns personal. It went from just proclaiming God's glory, which is wonderful and great, to I give thanks and praise. You have given me wisdom and might, giving him the credit for what he's done. Dependence on God oozes out of this praise, right? You can't read this and not hear someone that is dependent on God and trusting in God for everything. And I love that. And so we see prayer, we see praise, and the last thing we see in his, his handling this crisis is pointing. Pointing. And what I mean by that is Daniel uses this situation to point the king back to God. Now he could have just gone in and said, I have an interpretation. The dream, you dreamed this and it meant this. Yay me. Give me my reward. But that's not Daniel. It's not his character. And and he goes to great lengths, great lengths to point King Nebuchadnezzar back to the giver of wisdom, back to the sovereign of all things. And so we read in 24, therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed, so the guy that's going to, the executioner, and said, don't destroy us, moving to verse 25. um, Take me to the king. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me this dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And I love even there the, the, the correctness of the situation. When you went before the king, you didn't speak first. You let the king speak first. And we see this honoring here of the king. King says, can you really do this? None of my other guys could. Okay, I'm interpreting a little bit. 27, Daniel answered the king and said, and, and this is where he starts pointing back to God, and he's, he's not wasting the moment, but using the moment for God's glory. Daniel, um, he says, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king this mystery the king has asked. Now, if I'm the king and I hear him say that, I'm like, I know that already. That's why I'm killing them all. They can't do this. So Daniel's saying, no, they can't. They, they can't. No man can. But, and this is, this is where, again, we've talked so many times. When you see but God in, in Scripture, you know that God's going to do something incredible that man can't. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And he points back to God. No man can do this. The, the, the Chaldeans were right on that, but God can. And in fact, 
what God is going to do, King Nebuchadnezzar, is he's going to show you the future, just a, some windows into the future to prove that he has all wisdom and he is sovereign over all things. And if you can predict the future, both of those things have to be true. You, you have to have all wisdom and you have to have the sovereign ability to make it happen. And so, so this, this whole chapter is about God's wisdom and his sovereignty, his power. And the dream, the prophecy is just a means to show that, to point back to God. Because this is a battle between King Nebuchadnezzar and his gods and the Most High. And, and in these four chapters, we see this progression where every chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar finds out a little bit more about who God is. And so God says, I'm going to show you a little bit. Daniel, in, a, in the face of crisis, we can learn so much from his example, prayed, he praised, and then pointed. Do we do that with crisis in our lives? Whenever we face a difficulty, whenever we face a crisis and we're not sure how to handle it, we've got to ask ourselves, are we doing those things? What is God trying to do in this crisis and how can I be part of it? Because there is no such thing as a crisis that catches God off, off guard. There is no such thing as a situation that God isn't aware of and already has a plan to use for his glory. So the question is, are we going to be part of that? Don't waste the crisis in your life, as John Piper would say. But use it for the glory of God. So that's the first half. The first point is God's followers face a deadly crisis and we see how they handle this. And now the second half, the shorter half, is actually the dream. And God is revealing himself through the dream and through crisis from that dream. So he's revealing himself. The big picture here, like I said at the beginning, is that God knows all things. He is above all things. His kingdom will be the only one that lasts. And there's so much hope there and such a foundation to live life on. So in verse 31, we get the dream described. God knows all things is, is, um, is what this proves because he was able to reveal to Daniel what the king dreamed. And so in 31 through 35, Daniel just describes the dream, which is help for, uh, helpful for us. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. And so this is a, a, a giant image of a man. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening or awesome. The head of this image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly iron and partly clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut by no human hand. The stone just appears, and it hasn't been made by humans. And it struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, clay, and bronze and silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. That's when they would throw wheat or other grain in the air and the, the pieces of shaft, the light pieces, would just blow away in the wind and be gone. That's what all, the, all, all of these parts, what happened to them. I almost got to interpretation there. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, yeah, if I had that dream every night, I might be a little troubled too. Maybe my interpretation is something's coming to kill me. That, that might be what I was thinking. Um, but, but God is using this to point Nebuchadnezzar back to him. Even though it might be scared, even though he might not understand it. 
What's interesting here is that the king never interrupts Daniel. Why doesn't he interrupt him? Because he's getting it right. I, if, if, if you had asked someone, tell me what I dreamed last night, and you heard them describe your entire dream in that kind of detail, that might freak you out a little bit. Fair enough? But it also might make you listen to the interpretation because now you know that God Most High can give understanding. That's what God is trying to accomplish there. The next section is the dream explained. First section told us that God knows all things. This one is God is above all things and his kingdom lasts. And this is where we get into the prophecy and understanding the dream and and we'll dive into it slightly today, but we're going to get a lot of time in it in chapter 7 through 12. Um, This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. Verse 37. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Yes. I am gold. I'm the head. Now, now this is an amazing description because King Nebuchadnezzar actually did rule over many, many people. He ruled over the known world at the time. Catch verse 37, though. Again, there's these nuggets of theology where Daniel is slipping these in to try to teach King Nebuchadnezzar. What does he say in 37? You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given. And he slips this in to say, you didn't do this. That's going to come up in chapter 4 again because King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't learn this yet. You didn't do this. This was given to you by an authority higher than you, by someone that has more power than you. And yes, you have a glorious kingdom. You are, you are ruling over all. Your word, thousands, hundreds of thousands depend on. You are the head of gold. Then verse 39 and 40, we, get, we move on. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And so we see the, the, the parts of silver is the next kingdom. Bronze is the next kingdom. That's all that's said about these next two kingdoms. Just really quickly. And then verse 40. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will not mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together. So they will mix with one another, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. I'm going to stop there. We'll get to the the fifth kingdom in a moment. And so... This dream represents that there are a succession of kingdoms. One of the things that tells King Nebuchadnezzar is his kingdom isn't going to last forever, right? It's going to come to an end. Now, now we're going to find him pretty happy with this interpretation later. I'm not quite sure why, unless he's thinking, at least I know, that I know I'm the head of gold, and it's out in the future that that will end. But there's all kinds of debate about what countries these, these parts of the, the image represent. And um, I don't have time this morning to get into 
probably an hour or two worth of discussion about alternatives. There's that many different alternatives. So I'll just share, I think, where we would land as a church, where I would land. And then when we get to chapter 7, we're going, these four kingdoms are going to come back up and we'll get to talk about it in more depth. But the, first, the head is easy. That's Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. The silver is probably the Medo-Persian Empire. That's the empire that we're going to see in chapters um, 7, actually 5 and 6, rather. Um, that's the next kingdom that's going to take over. Bronze, the third kingdom, is probably Greece. Now, some say Media and Persia were two separate ones. Doesn't make sense. They were always together. We, we don't have them individual in Scripture, and, and they, didn't, they ruled at the same time. And so the third kingdom is, is Greece, Alexander the Great, and what's going to happen? This is all in the future. This actually happened. The fourth kingdom will be a brutal kingdom, one that rules with an iron fist, that takes things by force. And that is a very fitting description of Rome and, and the Roman Empire. I mean, this is a, a Roman Empire that crushed, took things by might and crushed all in their path. This is a Roman Empire that, whose army camped around Masada for, for over a year because there were a few Jews at the top defying them. And they said, we will not let this happen. And they end up building this huge siege ramp up the side of a cliff to get to these people. Rome had, had no problem with being an iron fist. And so this is a fitting description of them. Now we do know that as Rome spread, it, it, it was divided eventually between an eastern and, and western part of the empire. We know that it deteriorated as more and more people came in and they just couldn't control all the people that were coming into it, much like we see the combination of clay and iron. There were parts that were strong and parts that were weak and parts that were brittle. And eventually the kingdom fell. And so God is showing what is to come. What is going to happen. Each kingdom, it says, is a little more inferior than the kingdom before. And, and we have to think about what's he talking about there because he's not talking about size. The kingdoms actually were bigger in size. But he's probably talking about a, a spiritual sense in morality and, and in the glory of the kingdom and, and showing that the sinfulness of the world as man tries over and over to have these utopias, to have these kingdoms, we just get worse and worse and worse. And here we are 2,000 years later and, and we're still not getting any better. Man trying to rule under his own wisdom always fails. And so we see then in verse 44, the ultimate end. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. That's that stone that comes and destroys the image that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. I love that phrase. This is what God said. It's going to happen. Count on it. And we see the description of the stone. This is the kingdom of God that was inaugurated through Jesus Christ. And there is all kinds of debate. So did this reference just the, the first coming of Jesus and the cross and that bringing God's kingdom into play in a spiritual sense? Or does this represent a, a time in the future where there will be a literal ending of these earthly kingdoms and a rising of God's kingdom? 
and 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 again we don't have time to really delve into that but i would say this is probably still in the future the wording here is that they shall be destroyed completely has that happened yet are there still kingdoms of man on this earth or is the kingdom of god completely reigning silly question right and so this is something we look forward to now certainly Certainly the kingdom has come in a spiritual sense with Jesus and that's what we have the already and the not yet that we've talked about. The kingdom of God is already here through the church in a spiritual sense coexisting on this planet with the kingdom of man but there is a day coming when Jesus comes back when all the kingdoms of this earth are wiped out and taken care of and judgment comes on sin fully and completely and justice is, is brought to bear and righteousness is brought to bear and the kingdoms of this earth are wiped out and the kingdom of God, Jesus will rule literally on earth his kingdom and his followers. We can look forward to that and that's what this is referring to. You know, if, we, if you want to talk to me about all millennialism and premillennialism, I had it all in my notes but we don't have time this morning. Um, but basically... God's kingdom is still coming. It is here through us, but the not yet is we are waiting for a second coming of Christ that will make all things right, that will make all things just. There will be no more things we see on the news. There will be no more unrest. There will be no more racism. There will be no more sin-stained world because Jesus is coming back. And this interpretation is sure. We can count on that. Jonathan Edwards said, the world is a dark place without Christ and therefore is dark till he comes and until his kingdom of glory is set up. And it will be. And, and part of why I come to this, this interpretation is Daniel 7, Revelation 17, things like Zechariah 14, which talks about a literal coming of Christ. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to the west by a very wide valley. And, and it goes on to, to, to describe the second coming of Christ. That's my little blurb into to prophecy. That's it. That's all you get today. Because the big picture is God was able to tell a king his dream that he had given him. He is able to tell the future and the future says there is no kingdom on this earth that lasts except the kingdom of God that is above all kingdoms. That is, is the message. All of the wobbly human kingdoms will be replaced by God's firm kingdom. We end with 46 through 49 there, the end. People will see God in a fuller way when we respond to crisis in a God-trusting and lifting way. People will see God in a fuller way, King Nebuchadnezzar does here, when we respond to crisis in a God-trusting and lifting way. How you and I, how, how Daniel responded, how you and I respond, will either lift up Christ or we will tear down people's view of who God is. Verse 46, King, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, paid homage to Daniel. That is, a, that is extraordinary. To see a king bow down to someone else, that does not happen. And probably this was more to Daniel's God, but, but King Nebuchadnezzar, this is so incredible to him that his dream was told, that he was told the future, and he's the head of gold, that's cool, 
And, and so he, he bows down to Daniel, commands an offering and incense be offered up to him. And whoa, whoa, whoa. And Daniel's like, no, it's God. It's not me. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Interesting statement from King Nebuchadnezzar. Now some said, see, he knows God. I'm like, no, he knows more about God. This is all your God still. Your God can do this. And in, in, a, in a polytheistic society where you can serve many gods, this wouldn't have been that big of a deal. So it, he's not abandoning his gods yet, but what God is doing is showing his equality or his superiority over them. And we see that in King Nebuchadnezzar. Your God is able to reveal these things. Then the king gave Daniel high honors, great gifts, made him ruler of the whole province of Babylon. That's got to make the other wise men pretty angry. Chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon, angrier. Um, Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. And that sets up the next couple stories. This is how Daniel came to authority. This is how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came to, to authority that we're going to see in, in next week's text. And this is also why there's such animosity against them. But King Nebuchadnezzar sees God in a fuller way. Not a complete way yet, but in a fuller way because of Daniel's humility, because of his faithfulness. Village, I, I put at the top the main point, and I hope that that comes across in this story. God is all wise, all powerful, and he proved that in this. His kingdom will last forever. So rely on him, not what this world has to offer. Rely on him. We stand unshakable because God is all-knowing, because he's all-powerful, because he answers prayer, because he reveals wisdom. We stand unshakable with the Most High. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. What an extraordinary story of you just pounding into the king, I know all things. Follow me, worship me. And Lord, you, 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 you taught him that in an extraordinary way that no man on this planet could have done. No person could have known these things except through the one true God. Lord, help us to take this story and help us to apply it that you are the knower of all things and we can trust you and we can rely on you. Help this to firm up our faith, to encourage us today that we are following the Most High and we need to continue to follow the Most High. Thank you for your word, God, in your name, amen.